If you would please open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is we continue a series we've been calling one thing, leaning into God's calling one thing at a time. Now today I'm excited because I want to talk to you about finding the importance of your purpose. I mean, have you ever considered how important knowing your purpose is, not just to God, but in your daily life? You see, knowing your purpose brings clarity to your life. It keeps you focused on what matters most. It allows you to fulfill, fulfilled, as you continue to live for the Lord. In fact, sociologists tell us that knowing your purpose makes you more decisive in your decisions. It allows you to be more positive in your disposition, more opportunistic in your feelings. And those who know their purpose in the workplace have a greater impact upon others. So do you know your purpose? I remember when I was in college and, man, when I grew up, the Lord had blessed me athletically and I just knew with every fiber in my being, despite my five foot nine, 100 pound body screaming otherwise, that God had created me to play professional baseball. And when I began to play in college, it became apparent that, you know, that may not be right. And so I was just struggling with this reality of, you know, just for almost 18, 20 years of my life of what I knew, this was my purpose, and uh, that may not be it. And I had a very godly friend who, man, the Lord was doing a mighty work, and we were kind of in this discipleship group, and the leader of that group gave me the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And the opening paragraph in the book is so vital in finding your purpose. Rick Warren says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. In searching for our purpose, we ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be and what should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams? But focusing on yourself will never reveal your life purpose. As we study today, one of the most important verses in the entire New Testament. One of the most compelling confessions found in the entire Bible. You're going to find that Paul is going to expound on the sole purpose of his life, to know Christ. That the reality that Paul knew God through Jesus Christ transformed his life, coupled with the fact that God knew Paul. Oh, it changed his life. And it can do the same for us this morning. And so though life may give us many things, may we give our lives to the one thing, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the one thing I want you to get, in light of this text, as you walk out of here and do life, in knowing Christ, the sole purpose of Paul's life, when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. And so may I allow the captivating truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel to absolutely overwhelm and bless your life this morning. With that in mind, let's study together Philippians 3, verse 8. And your Bible says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss, Paul says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul begins this thought by continuing what he said in verse 7. 
He uses here an accounting term in objectively assessing his life. He begins to explain to God's people at Philippi, what brought me the most value? What gives me the most significance? What has fulfilled my ultimate purpose? It wasn't all of these things that he listed in Memphis 5 through 6. It wasn't religious achievement. It wasn't my education or even my social standing. Indeed, I count all of those things. He passionately and intensely, forcefully says, I not only so, no longer, is his point, give my life to those things. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says in aligning my life toward Christ. I never have found such fulfillment. I have never seen such blessing in my life. So indeed I count all of these things as a loss. You see good things can be bad things if they keep us from Christ. The person who knows Christ is willing to give up anything to follow Christ. And in knowing Christ, that knowledge then prioritizes our lives. In finding our purpose, we must then choose what gives us most of what we desire. And for those who know Christ, it is Christ and Christ alone. And when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. And that is why we must live by faith and not by sight. That we must live to live a life of intentionality. Life isn't a matter of just happenstance. But rather it is God working out his plan to fulfill his purpose in our lives. And thus everything we do matters. Thus we assess intently everything that God gives us. How we spend our time matters. Each of us are given 168 hours every single week. How are we spending our time to fulfill the purpose that God has given us in Christ? What are we filling our minds with? Because what fills our minds will fill our heart. Everything matters. Everything counts. How do we spend our resources? Are we using what God has given us to extend his kingdom so that others may know him or that we may know him more? Or are we spending it on other things so we can get to know ourselves better? Paul says, I count all of those things as loss. In the strongest, most forcible way possible, I have chosen to find my purpose in Christ. Because when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. And we are praying fervently that all generations will have such a passion. There is an abundance of information on the largest generation in the history of our country. A generation I'm a part of, the millennial generation. This generation has described itself as confident, self-expressive, liberal, upbeat, and open to change. This millennial generation has been characterizing itself in three primary categories where Paul says, I give my life to one thing. I'm placing my trust in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Most generations are giving their lives to many things. And this largest generation that is coming up, a majority of your children, your grandchildren, our leaders, municipality, people, council members, CEOs, CFOs, in this generation, this is what they believe. One, that they begin to value education, not religion. They are the least overtly 
religious generation in modern time. 25% of all millennials have no religious affiliation at all. One in four individuals in this generation have no desire, no care at all for things that truly matter. Millennials are also the most educated generation in the history of our country. 46% of all millennials have enrolled in college since 2011. One out of two millennials are educated. They have extended degrees, not just associate degrees. We're the most educated generation of all kinds, yet the least religious. Secondly, they also believe in self-expression. 75% of all millennials have created at least one profile on social media. They give, are you ready for this? Two and a half hours a day to social media consumption. That is 17 and a half hours a week, 910 hours a year to social media. Now I say all that to say this. We praise God for all he's blessed us with here. We praise God for these facilities. We praise God for the ability to be in a strategic place to reach Tulsa, BA, and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, it would be in our detriment to put all of our focus on these resources, all of our focus on these facilities, because the largest generation in the history of our country, 75% of them are online as a way of life. 75% of them are hour by hour interacting on social media. It has always been the heart of our church that if you do not come to us, we in Christ will come to you. Whatever it takes, we must remind ourselves that we desire to reach BA and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus in light of the mission God has given us. There's an entire world that needs Jesus. When Christ has you, nothing else can have you. But they're not treasuring the one thing. We're treasuring education, not religion. Self-expression. Finally, the pursuit of self, not God. Now, this to me is the most humbling. Only 13% of all millennials rank spiritual matters as even important. Which means 87% of your kids and grandkids and fellow co-workers and future leaders could care less about the things of Christ and the gospel. But can I tell you, I've never been more excited about our future. I've never been more excited about the opportunity to reach BA and beyond. Because my generation, this millennial generation, they're dying for the glory of God. They're dying for the fellowship of God. They're dying for the person of Jesus Christ who died for them. And when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. And though generations will give their lives to many things, education, not religion, self-expression, the pursuit of self, not God, warning what we fill ourselves with will eventually spill out in our lives. And so that is why this world is like it is. That is why you are seeing the things you're seeing. That is why you're, it is hard to comprehend this trajectory of where we're going because we're giving our lives to many things. May we be people who boldly give our lives to one thing. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now why would you do this? Why? Look at verse 8. 
Paul says, indeed, I count all of these things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Literally, the far superior, the incomparable worth and value of the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing Christ surpassed any other experience to Paul in the strongest way possible. He is communicating that his personal relationship with Christ has captivated him like no other relationship. The surpassing worth of knowing intimately and personally God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, it's the best thing I've ever experienced. It is what has brought me the most sustainable satisfaction. But what does it mean to know Christ? What experience is he talking about? This past week, it was so awesome for my family. I won, we were selling a, birth, a birthday in my family. And Maggie Joy, our second grader, turned nine. So that's a huge deal. And it's also this convergence of two loves in my life. So baseball and football. And so you have professional baseball. You can watch the Cubs. And oh, that's a humbling thing anyway, especially in Cardinals country. Secondly, you have the NFL draft this weekend. And one of my favorite things about the NFL draft is watching the reaction of fans, adults who love their team so much that they do ridiculous things in front of millions and millions of people. So they'll put makeup all over their body in their team colors. They'll put on costumes and launch fireworks and all of these things because they love their team. Yet the most hilarious thing to me is that when their team drafts a player they've never heard of. They react in such a way that is absolutely hilarious. So they'll say, well, the Dallas Cowboys draft so-and-so. And then they pan to these fans to get the reaction. And you know, they're kind of thinking, who? What? And then, yeah! And I'm like, you don't know this person. You don't know who they are. You just love your team. Now, let me ask you this question. Do we love Christ like that sometimes? I mean, when people are looking, when we think people are thinking, are we tempted to act in such a way? You see, Christ really knows whether you love him or not. Christ really knows whether you're desiring him or not. Christ really knows if he's the one thing. And can I tell you that Paul sees this in light of verse 8? But are you ready for this? It wasn't just Paul's knowledge of Christ that motivated him to value Christ above all things. It was that he ready for this? That in spite of those things, Christ knew him and loved him. That changed his life. Do not ever get over the fact he loves you. He loves you. You are not an idea to him. You are not just some part of the 7.3 billion people on this planet. No, he knows your name. And he knows your highs and your lows. And he knows what you love to do and what you think you love to do and all of these contingencies in between because he knows you and he loves you. And it's that surpassing knowledge 
that worth and value that Paul communicates here. You see, Paul's understanding of knowledge is not derived from this New Testament word, ganasco, to know someone intimately through a personal involvement. Are you ready for this? Paul's understanding of knowledge comes from the Old Testament, not from man's knowledge of God, but God's knowledge of man. Paul uses here the word yada in the Old Testament, which signified a union or bond, a covenant love to someone else. It's this three-tiered layer of knowledge that completely transformed Paul's life. You see, Paul knew that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ was multi-tiered. He knew this knowledge was an intimate, personal knowledge. In fact, the word that Paul uses, you'd realize it was used to describe the knowledge of Adam and Eve in Genesis 4 when the Bible says and they knew one another intimately as only husband and wife can. It's the same word used of God's love for his people in Amos 3.2 when it said, and God knew them and loved them. It's the same word used by Christ in John chapter 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my flock and they know my voice. That's Paul's point. It is the surpassing worth of knowing that God intimately and personally knows me. That God loves me even though he knows me. He still loves me. When Christ has you, nothing else can have you. Secondly, it was a knowledge of revealing knowledge. You see, God has made himself known in three primary ways. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Every sunrise, God. Every beautiful Oklahoma sunset, God. God has primarily revealed himself by his word. He has spoken. We can know his will and intent and thus purpose for our lives. Because he has given us his son. Jesus is the way of life. And as Paul continued to synergize a robust theology with a status and a heritage seen in light of God's favor and love to Paul, only it did was give him greater appreciation for Christ. The fact that God wanted an ongoing relationship completely perplexed Paul. That God wanted a continuing conversation. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to share your heart. He wants you to share your longest desires. And he wants to then point you to his son. To thus show you there is no end to God's love. Just the beginning. It was this knowledge that completely overwhelmed Paul. When Christ has you, nothing else can have you. Thirdly, it was a knowledge then that led to obedience. It was a knowledge that led to a greater appreciation that God's way is the way for our lives. That following Christ is not duty. It is not an obligation seen in earning God's favor or blessing, but rather from God's favor and blessing. We step out in love, not to earn his love, but because of his love. Because he never quits us. 
because he never leaves us nor forsakes us, because he cares so much about you living out your purpose for him in your life that he works inside of us through the Holy Spirit to make sure we're in perfect alignment to what he is asking us to do. And in doing so, Paul says, every step of victory was yet another testament to knowing Christ was yet further proof that he's greater than my background, that he's larger than my shortcomings. I have never found anyone else just like Jesus because there is no one else like Jesus. It is this truth that completely freed Paul to be everything that God had called him to be in Christ. Do you know Christ? If you don't, you can And if you do, know him more. And I want to give you, before we go, another step in this text. I want to give you four ways to do just that. How can I know Christ? Number one, kneel daily. Kneel daily. Have a time in your day that you are alone with God just to be with God. You're not checking a box You're not putting in a time card. No, you've laid all of those aside. And that is why for me, overwhelmingly, this is late, late at night or really early in the morning, just how you look at it. And then from this day, from the scripture, from walking with Jesus, front steps, side steps, hopefully not back steps, I begin to talk to the Lord over and over again and remind him once again of how much I love him and need him Need him to shepherd you. Need him to love you. Need him to lead my family and love my family. Need his wisdom and understanding to make decisions that impact lots and lots of people. It is from this time that I find that the more I know Christ, the overwhelming empowerment and confidence that has in my life. Paul's going to say in the next chapter, so much so that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Do you know him? Neil Daly. Secondly, never rely on self. I mean, let's just be honest. Relying on ourselves is what got us in this mess in the first place. Trusting ourselves never really works out. It can give us momentarily satisfaction. It can give us, for a brief time, some confidence, but it doesn't last. There's never really true joy there. It comes and it goes. Why? Because it's not of the Lord. We are trusting in and of ourselves. We're relying upon in and of ourselves. In fact, I would encourage you, as you read the scriptures, never ask the question, what did Jesus do? No, instead live out the question, what has Jesus done? I mean, in light of the complete work of Christ through the Gospels, act accordingly and find God's blessing in your life. Find it as you continue to trust him, to live by faith, not by sight, how God will empower and use your lives in ways that only he gets the glory for. When Christ has you, nothing else can have you. Do you know Christ? Thirdly, Only treasure Christ. I mean, what is this all about? Why are we doing this? Why do we have the jobs we have? Why are we living where we're living? 
Why are we driving the cars we do? Why are we spending the money we do? Why are we allowing our kids to participate in the things they do? Is it about Christ or is it about us? I find one of the greatest challenges of just being a dad. Oh, it's, it's one of the greatest joys of my life besides following Christ and being Brynn's husband, being a dad. But I find one of the greatest challenges is living in such a way that my kids know this is not about me. This is not even about us. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? Finally, walk with Christ through God's word. It is a fitting hermeneutic of scripture. In both testaments, of the 40 authors given in this text, of the 1,500 years of history, that we would find our greatest treasure and fulfillment, our greatest daily delight as we learn God's word to live and thus become more like God's son. Paul says, I count all of these things as lost then, everything. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know Christ? For when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. And John Piper was right when he said, God's main purpose for our existence is to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. God gave us life so that with other, our bodies and our minds and our hearts, we might be drawn to Christ. Knowing Christ then is not just a feeling. It is more than a frame of mind to Paul or even an experience, but rather a lifelong journey of meditating upon God's word while treasuring God's son. That's his point. When Christ has you, nothing else can have you. So much so that Paul says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things in verse 8. I count everything else as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You see, following Christ was a considerable cost to Paul. He had counted the cost in following Christ. And that's why he says, for his sake, I've suffered loss because I might gain Christ. This life I've found, Paul says, has taken nothing from me. The more hardships I receive, the more grace he gives me. I mean, the more ill will that men show me, the more love Christ shows me. The more that this world takes from me the more I desire an appreciation for my home to come with Christ. Paul wasn't a fan. He was a follower of Christ. Are we, have we, for his sake, suffered the loss of all things, counted them as rubbish? You see, a fan follows Jesus as long as there's no significant change or cost required. A follower follows Christ no matter the cost. 
A fan wants Jesus to entertain them, inspire them, but don't interfere with them. Don't take over their lives. A follower of Christ allows Christ to take it all. A fan is comfortable with making Jesus one of many. To a follower, Christ is the one and Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 16, verse 25 and 26, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Paul answers this question in Philippians 3.8. He says that whatever keeps him from knowing Christ is at least loss is at its summit rubbish. Now when he says here, I count them as rubbish, uh, this word would have got me in a lot of trouble in my household. You see, this word is a crude expletive in the first century. It only finds its content one time in the New Testament, right here. It's of a compound word, scubalon, that means waste, trash, repugnant. The King James Version aptly translated this word, dung. It is that which is thrown to dogs. I remember when I was 26 and just on fire for Christ. And God in his goodness, he called this to southeast New Mexico, right in the desert. I mean, three-hour circumference around Roswell, New Mexico, there's nothing but Jesus, nothing. Not at a gas station, not, you know, not any restaurants, nothing. No hope, no bacon, nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. And so as we begin to learn that culture, it was amazing to me, just you know, kind of the, the different aspects that these people have lived through. So for instance, the wind blew in the spring in Roswell, New Mexico, 55-plus miles an hour all day long. I mean, from 6 a.m. in the morning till midnight, all day long. We grew up in Oklahoma, God's country, where it rains about 70 inches a year in some parts of Oklahoma. Roswell, six inches of precipitation a year. Our oldest son, Major, went the first 15 months of his life, and it didn't rain one time. But it was the third thing. Did you realize that in Chavez County, New Mexico, there are more cows than people. In fact, we can resonate that with Oklahoma. We're one of nine states in our country that has more cows than people, all right? (laughs) Steaks for everyone, all right? But our church was located right downtown, just a block or two away from one of the largest stockyards in all of New Mexico. You could smell us coming from a long ways away. And so we've been there a couple of weeks, and we're trying to get used to, you know, just this circumstance. And I would have a couple of church members who would come into my office, and there was this, this, this fog of awfulness. And they would say, preacher, you smell that? You know what that is? And I would say, I got a pretty good idea. <laughs> and they would say, money. <laughs> you could have fooled me, right? <laughs> Paul uses this same word. Here, 
to intentionally classify all things that seek to separate him, distract him from pursuing God in Christ. In fact, the next time you look at a cow, and you know, judging by there's more cows than people in Oklahoma, it's going to be soon. Think of this thought. Anything that keeps us from Christ or makes us think more of ourselves than Christ is a waste. God, never keep us from your son. Lord, never allow us to think of ourselves higher than your son. Keep us right in the center of your will by keeping us right in the center of your word <laughs> as we treasure Jesus more than anything else. And that is why Paul says, I count all of these things as rubbish that I might gain Christ. He uses here the same accounting language that he began this thought in verse 7 with. To everything else Paul considered a loss. Why? Of the ultimate gain of making Christ his own. Paul considered his entire past some bad things, mostly good things, as waste when compared to the lifelong pursuit of knowing Christ. Christ gives us God. He alone then is our highest treasure, our greatest delight, our everlasting joy because in Christ he gives us something we could never accomplish on our own. An intimacy with God himself. Do you know Christ? You can. And if you know Christ, know him more. Don't allow your life to be consumed by the many things. Give your life to the one thing. To knowing Christ. Kneel daily Never rely on self. Only treasure Christ and walk with Christ through God's word. Because knowing Christ is the ultimate gain and end of life. And when Christ has you, nothing else can have you. May we give our lives to the one thing, Christ Jesus, our Lord.